0: Well-behaved women never make history. Welcome to the Forge by Trust podcast. I'm your host, Robin Dreek, executive coach, former U.S. Marine, spy recruiter, best-selling author, and your trust and communication expert. Today's episode, "The Human Polygraph," is with the force of nature, Susan Ibits, and what she can do for you at the Human Behavior Lab. Susan works to help people to be their best version of themselves. She teaches you how to profile anyone in 90 seconds over the phone, a picture, video call, or in person either in her online classes where you can jump in anytime at your own pace or in a group training, or you can hire her to do one-on-one coaching. She will teach you a superpower to have the life you always wanted, the income that you dreamed about, and she can take you wherever you want to go. Coming up next on the Forge by Trust podcast. I was a rebel. Years later,
1: I understand that I was overcompensating for my dyslexia and my autism. There are three ways you can be good in this job. Who you are how you feeling, and how predisposed you are not to drink your own Kool-Aid and walk in a room thinking, everybody have a reason, everybody's telling you the truth, I just want to know if you're lying, and go with the flow.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Robin Dreek, and on the Forged by Trust podcast, we decode the interpersonal communication skills of the world's most acclaimed forgers of trust. We unlock the skills and techniques from spies, spy recruiters, master interrogators, globally recognized behavioral experts, C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, acclaimed authors, and thought leaders. Each episode provides specific actions that you can immediately apply to any aspect of your personal or professional life. Today's episode, The Human Polygraph, is with Susan Ibitz. Susan Ibitz is a human behavior hacker. Some people hack computers, she hacks humans, and has so much fun doing it. Susan is a profiler, civilian hostage crisis negotiator, trainer, face-reading profiler, trial consultant, and she's traveled around the world chasing the best of the best, studied with Paul Ekman International in the UK, microexpression and deception detection, persuasion with Cialdini, and statement analysis with Sapir. And he is the man who developed what others are teaching. Susan holds over 30 certifications, including Harvard Law School, Civilian Hostage Negotiator, Level 3, and Face Reading Profiling, and is still going. During the episode today, we talk about curiosity, dyslexia, and autism as a gift, becoming the human polygraph, three keys to reading behavior, and how to be present for others. Susan, all I can do is say... Hello, welcome to Forge by Trust. And as we we're just chatting before and the numerous chats we've had, yes, you are known as a human polygraph, human behavior expert, but I got to tell you what, I think your real superpower is making me laugh. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you and thank you for joining me today.
1: I hope people have as much fun as we have on the prep and during the show. And I expect that because laugh. And smiling elevate oxytocin, and we're elevate dopamine. Those are the bonding hormones. So let's say we're gonna be geeky fun if it's possible.
0: <laughs> geeky fun, hormone inducing fun. Yes, absolutely. So kind of going back to what I just said, as you know, and as my audience knows, there's nothing better in life than a great story and a great backstory, and especially since. We all love human behavior, especially since you are an expert in polygraph as you're the human polygraph. I'm curious, what was a spark all those years ago that inspired you to, to really follow and make human behavior your passion? Failing. Tell I didn't have four. Plan
1: B, and it was the, fir- the best thing that happened to me was failure. And I don't remember who says the phrase, but mistaken failure if you don't learn anything from it. And at a young age, and I always say the same story, my dad believed in quality time, not quantity time with the four kids. He was a diplomat doing something completely different. He never he finished barely high school because he lost. And where his was dad. this?
0: I'm so sorry, where was this?
1: My dad was in Argentina, uh, first generation to Calabres, Italian Calabres, not simple Italian Calabres. In Argentina, and he was an artist, and he was t- called to go around the world recovering a stolen art from the Nazis. Because my dad met my mom, who is
0: the first generation of Auschwitz survivors. My, oh my grandmother Hold came. Hold on, what, I, I got. There's so much here. I already got. Oh, to- yeah.
1: <laughs> I can pull a lot.
0: <laughs> what kind um- of artist was he?
1: He studied with Petoruti and Picasso. Actually, some of the arts in my house, people says, oh, this is a Picasso. No, that is my dad. And actually, I have a painting. The, you know what? My dad was a storyteller. And he was a dreamer. He was an a doer. I always says, I love my dad to death that he was always on the verge to be broke. Because he he dreamed all the time. Wait, and where
0: did your dad grow up?
1: My dad grew up in a small town called Villa Maria, Cordova. And the North part of Argentina, that when he grew up, he lost his dad when he was three months old. My grandmother was 21 with two kids. Italian family, she wore black until she was 40. Wow. Crazy. Yep. So and what, what sparked his passion for art when he was so It was his way to communicate. uh Remember, this was on the 20s or 30s. I, my yeah. dad should be 95 now. He died 45 years ago. Yeah. So it was a long time ago. So his grandfather, I think all my family linears, both sides are really remarkable by the grandparents. In my case, my grandmother's and my dad grandfather, he used to like old school is like, do I don't know how you name it in any other language than Spanish? Rulemanes. They're lost. The little wheels that you have with metal so his grandfather used to do like big skateboards with wheels so he can be pulled by the bike from another person so my dad spent a lot of time with that and my grandmother was an artist my my dad mom but being an artist it was being a prostitute you cannot be a woman and an artist if you're a widow so my grandmother and start Painting, hiding from her parents and from society, and that was the quality time between my dad and my grandmother, huh. when she was hiding at night painting, and she was a couture designer. And my sense of style so always says, "Oh, you have a good sense of style." I know I have two grandmothers; they have a really good sense of style. So she was a couture designer during the day, and she was a painter at night. And my dad and my grandmother has Carolina. Have that moment when she was painting, and the smell of the paint was a connection to him. So he started painting on the floor, and my grandmother started putting pieces of canvas for him to paint. He had the chance to go to Europe, and that's where he studied. And I think it was in, he studied with Picasso. And one of the paintings that I have in one of my walls, my dad always says it is an original Picasso. And my investment advisor says we need to make it like assess. He says, you know what? I don't care if it's a Picasso. It's the fantasy that I spend hours and days with my dad in his studio telling me the story about the painting. If it's not, you're going to take part of my childhood. It's not about the money. We're not going to sell it. I'm right, going to right, leave it right. to my niece and nephews. They can assess. It's part of my story. It's part of my storytelling. It's part of my quality time with my dad since I was five years old. And says, what do you want me to be yours when you move out? And says, that painting. So we built a story through that painting. So maybe have a Picasso and I can't retire. No idea, <laughs> but I to keep it on the wall. Wow.
0: So, how did he get into going around the world and finding art that had been stolen from the Jews?
1: And it's crazy because my dad wasn't a diplomat. And actually, going through things when my brother, when we lost my mom two years ago, we found out the business card of my dad with the seal. Actually, he was a consul. It's consul. The diplomat was mm-hmm. a consul in art from Guatemala to around the world. So, not even in Buenos Aires. So, it was one of his connections. My dad have a really good sense of art, like more artists are clueless. And useless on marketing and selling themselves that he loved art and he was really good. Actually, he died at the age of 90, managing a foundation for new artists to make sure they are support and they can expose. So he was a natural. He was a really good artist. He was so prolific that when he died, we need to hire four trucks to get his art in a warehouse to be preserved to see how the heck we're going to, because we, living all around the world all my brothers and sisters and nephew, nobody's on Argentina we're all over the world how are we going to make sure that we can get that art and bring it with us so we decide to put it in a warehouse we need to get four trucks to transport all the art my dad was doing two paintings a week and I remember he's sitting in front of the white canvas and the joke is, I haven't talked to you yet like shh The canvas is talking to me and deciding what she want to be or he want to be like, okay, let's go for it. So I'm not insane. It's genetic predisposition. My parents (laughs) were right. I'm already laughing. I'm Jewish. I'm not going to be ever good in a sport. We're good in in therapy. I need to blame my parents. Come on. (laughs) That's what we're supposed to do. Who are you going to be blaming? Your parents. That's what you do.
0: Right. Okay. So we come up through childhood with an amazing backstory and storyteller of a father who's an artist. What were you aspiring to do at that age?
1: I wanted to be the first female astronaut until I found out it was one. It says, nope, I'm not interested anymore. I was, you know what?
0: What inspired you want to be an astronaut?
1: Oh, because nobody else has done it at that point. I was a rebel. My dad sent me to ballet, and I didn't want it. My mom decided to shape my head for the first time when I was six years old and five years old and I was in kindergarten because I was fighting with the boys and I always have pieces of hair missing. And I never was the proper lady. I was kicked out of the school until they finally put me in a Catholic car- kindergarten because my parents were paying so much money. They didn't kick me out. So what were you fighting about? I was a rebel. I didn't feel that I belong. I like to play why? with, I didn't want to be playing with dolls. They give me dolls. I'm like, why? Why they can go out and make money. I need to wait at home.
0: At what age were you
1: saying that? Four or five years. Old, when you go to kindergarten and we're going to play mom and dad. Like, I don't want to be mom. My mom was really worried until I was 15. I have my best book, my first boyfriend. Like, oh, she's not going to be gay. I'm like, and what is the problem if I am? Because all my friends were boys and my dad have, and he was racing polo horses and cows and things like that. And when I went to the, 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 with, on the summers with my parents there, I wasn't wearing a t-shirt. I only was in shorts and because the short hair, everybody was under impression that I was a dude. Until what summer, I, these is come up and like, oh, you're not a dude. I was really, really horrible as a kid. And I think one of the reasons that I don't have kids is because I was afraid they're going to come up like me. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. I was a rebel. And I, years later, I understand that I was overcompensating for my dyslexia and my autism because I didn't understand. And I was told too many times I was a stupid. I was slow, blah, blah, blah. And it was overcompensated. So it was I was more aggressive than more other kids around. And I never felt that I can feed on other people's expectations. My dad, an artist, my mama's former stewardess, dress, that's how my parents met, teacher for the special kids. My house was full of artists. They were smoking weed. They were the 70s. Hello. You know what it was that? Studio 65 uh, 60, I think 65 in New York was 64. nothing compared to my house. Right. So nobody, nothing was normal for me. It was normal. I love it. My mom, dad was the second marriage for both. I have brothers and sisters from the oldest, from the first marriage of my dad. Guess what? When they get married, the former mom says, they're yours. I don't want these kids. They're terrible. So I grow up with my Brothers and sisters from the first marriage. On the seventy, remember, South America. The seventies wasn't been with. So when people says, "How is your family?" My brother and sister, my mom, my mom one, my mom two, my grandmother one, two, three, and four, and my dad. And they call my parents like your daughter is something hit on the head. Like no, that's our family. We have four, four, four. We have family all around the world. So I never feed in that criteria. And I love the chance that my parents gave me. They didn't give didn't me money, but they gave me wings. We were unorthodox. Now you can see families, integrated families. I don't know how they call it. I don't not good with pronouns or names, but I have an integrated family 51 years ago when didn't exist. Right. My parents were super open about those things. And I love that. I crazy love that.
0: So you said something that was interesting. They said they gave you wings. they do that what were the wings
1: my dad let me think we're gonna go with the quality time with my dad he have a huge studio and one of the things that i love about my books actually i found out that i can have tax exempt for the amount of books that i have i didn't know that i'm a public library (laughs) if you have more than two thousand books you can apply for public library so I remember books and paintings on the roof and spending. You have time. over
0: 2000 books. Yep,
1: yeah. More than wow. that.
0: And that, so, and that came from your dad, the passion. You know,
1: I bought, i travel around the world. So these are new books. And actually I have a spreadsheet. When I lend you a book, I write and I send a reminded email says you own to Susan. I, public library, two books due in 10 days. And my friends are like, are you kidding me? Like, no, don't mess with my books, because I have books, the people that I study, Paul Ekman, Avinoa and Cialdini, they're signed, especially for me. Those books are, do not lend them. I have a right. second pair of books that I can lend, but they're my treasure. Right. Because for years I didn't read, I didn't enjoy it because of my dyslexia. Now I find out that I can read it and listen to books. So for me, are my treasure. They're the things that I never could conquer. And my dad was an avid reader. He sometimes go to the studio, he's a studio on Friday, and he doesn't show up until Sunday morning and talking about and spend all Sunday talking about the book he read.
0: What kind of books did he read?
1: He loved history. He was fascinated. The I was I was a pilot for Hitler, Odessa, all that part, genetics. He loved genetics. Actually, when in his ranch, he allowed the first Insemination for genetics done in South America on his on, on one of the cows and one of the ships, Genetic history, real history, because he didn't have the chance to go to college or the uni. He read about everything, culture, uh, biographies. He loved biographies and he loved biographies about people, different perspective. I would have put it like the Democrats and Republicans about the same aspect and in, in, in the world. He loved that. He loved knowledge, but not the traditional knowledge. Right. He says everybody do the, his own path. So growing out with those things, a grandmother who escaped from Auschwitz, one who was widow at the age of 21 with two kids, traditional Italian family who become an artist just when she turned 40. How are you going to become? All of that people around the world, all those people, my people, my family, did their things in their own way. There's no way I'm going to be following the path. And my dad never allowed us to work, to do any sport professionally until we were 18. Hmm. I was supposed to be on the volleyball team. He says, no, my daughter is not going to spend five days, five times a week, two hours every day playing professionally. She needs to play. She needs to be a kid. My brother, the same he didn't allow us to do anything until we decide what we're going to become. Religion, last name, activities, nothing need to be professional or be obliged beside what we're going to do. He took mm-hmm. me to ballet. One day he says, Susan, my mom was Susan too. She's not going to keep doing ballet. Why? She doesn't like it. Well, what she knows, like she doesn't like it. She's not going to do it. Move, move on. She's going to choose what she want to do. And my time was going to the ranch. Riding, I learned riding horses before I ride, ride a bike, and I spend all day with between the peaks riding horses, feeding the cows. I love it. I love that. That the, one of the reason I live in the forest now is that connection with my dad. And he always told me, "Do whatever you want. The only limit is yourself. Nobody can tell you can't do it. And if you want to do it." Just find a way to do it. Don't be so lazy to blame others who are conditioned you cannot get done.
0: Susan, did you know your grandmother that was in Auschwitz Well,
1: Yes. She never told this story. I found out. You know how I found out? Yeah. My my mom first husband was Jewish. My grandmother buried four husbands, and they died at the age of 103. That lady had a lot of fun. And my brother, it's true. My brother married a Jewish lady and I ended up marrying a Jewish guy. We agreed we're not going to have kids, but I want to convert to Judaism. And I went to the painful effort for a year to study. I went to visit my parents in South America. They used to live in a small town in the beach. And my mom says, Why you what are those all those books? Like, oh Mom, I have the conversion next week. I need to give the test. And she says, if you don't tell anyone, I'm going to tell you, you're Jewish. And like, what the heck? What? And that's when she told me the story. And like, so you saw me suffering for a year going through this study, knowing how hard and we're Jewish. This. your grandmother want to say anything like, why would the crosses and going to a Catholic school? Why you did that to me? I never fed. It's because your grandmother still thinking that she, that she's afraid they're going to come up and take it. So I tried to talk to my grandmother a couple of times and she says, I don't know what you're talking about. So finally at the age of 33, 34, I went to Austria for a couple of months until finally I like, could, that's where we're coming from. So I hired a private investigator and through different museums and organization, finally I found my grandmother's sister buried in Barcelona with the name Ruth Ivitz and like, that's who i belong to so i came back to the united states i went back to south america this conversation need to happen with my dad in person it says i found who i belong to i love you today and nobody's going to change i'm your daughter so i'm going to change my last name my dad look at me and honey with that face everybody knows you're my daughter do whatever you want you always have And he never talked about it again. And that's how I want to become Susan Ivitz. I changed my last name to my legal. I'm the last person on the family who keep that Jewish name. Wow. My my grandmother died without telling the story. So I have pieces and bits for the survivors. And it's really common for survivors that they were afraid to tell the story. And she did. And at one point, I stopped fighting and I started respecting because I own to be who I am, to my two grandmothers. Widow at 21, Auschwitz survivor, dressed as a man on the bottom of a boat. Hello, I own the two ladies not to give up. And every time that I says to my grandparents, I I fail, they look at me like, really? Okay, and we're not going to fight. Just was the really. What well, we went through for you having all this option, you complain about a guy didn't pick up your phone number. You're complaining that you're not doing well in a school. Hello. Grow up. It's not another way. They give you wins. They give you stronger. I always say, if I was born and raised in the United States, probably secret service. Social service would take me and take me away from my parents. I'm so happy I was born and raised in South America until I was 17.
0: So what do we want to do? So we wanted to be an astronaut. That wasn't happening. So what did happen?
1: Mm. My college time with my dad was watching Colombo and the reading Godfather and the stories about the family in Italy. And my dad was like, who you think is the is is the is the murder? What happened? And reading mystery stories. And my dad made me think, okay, this happened. And we have what I call whiteboard now. And we tell stories. And like, who do you think or hiding things or made me think all the time?
0: So you were so you took these mysteries from Colombo and these other things and put them on whiteboards with your dad.
1: Yes, I was. I'm the, you,
0: right there. That's amazing.
1: It's generically crazy. I tell my therapist who I can blame. Your parents, good to go. We can and, go. And,
0: and so I'm curious, also, Susan, because you were so visual because of dyslexia, mm-hmm. was that was that natural then to put it on the board? It was easier to do. I mean, tell me about that
1: my dad was writing the clues. So it was early signs, but my parents wasn't educated on the traditional way to understand what happened with their kids, at least with me. And one of the things is, I remember when I told my mom, I found out that I'm dyslexic when I was 17 and I was autistic when I was 35, studying in London. And my mom says, my daughter's neither of those things. And it took me a long time to say, Mom, it's not a reflection on you. It's who I am. And I'm so happy that I have those things. The only thing I regret is not knowing earlier to have done the path than I want. But every life through your ball, you need to learn to catch it and go for it. So my dad, and like, oh, Susan, you're too lazy. They call me Suki. My parents call me Suki and my grandmother call me Bella, the Italian. Because my second name is Bethlehem. Oh. So he called my grandma. My Italian grandmother, called me Bella, the other part of family, Suki. Suki, okay, I'm going to write it for you. What do you think it happened? I think the murderer is the guy on the red shirt. So we did visually. He helped me to go visual. It wasn't Robert. It was the guy with the red shirt. That's the way I can visualize.
0: Hmm. And
1: we have, and sometimes he leave the whiteboard and says, you have until Sunday to discover who killed it or who did it or who stole it or who took it. And he would tell me stories and like, what do you think it happened? So we we went through that exercise without knowing who I am today is that time that I have with my dad. So I grew up thinking what i going to be, or who i going to be, or what i going to be doing, because how a dream can become a career. So when I was seven, 15, again, thank God I don't have kids, I tell to my parents that, College high school was going too slow. So I'm going to take a year sabbatical and go to the library for eight hours a day to study on my own. The crisis now that I propose it, the nuts, as they say, yes.
0: <laughs>
1: so start going to the library to study. And OK, I'm ready to go
0: back. What did you want but, to study?
1: I was reading everything that you can put in frame of me. I was studying law by LaFont. LaFont is introduction to civil rights and law and, how,
0: and i'm so sorry susan how were you able to do this with the dyslexia how is that going for you
1: i didn't know it's like telling a person that is blind that not everybody else is blind you cope you have coping mechanisms okay so i was hearing so many times that i was lazy then i read slower and I have a, the famous tape recorder. I remember my mom gave me what I asked when I would turn the sweet 16. It was a tape recorder. So it was recording my readings. And at that point, you have some tape recordings, readings. So I was grabbing everything that was on tape on the, on the public library.
0: You're doing audible, right.
1: And what I did is I went to the blind library where they have all these tape recorders for blind people. Oh, my
0: gosh. That's brilliant. And
1: I was going there and the woman says, why you got, because it's easy for me to listen and read and says, why don't you go to the blind library? They have a bigger selection of a story and think like, what am I? And I remember go to the library says, how much? And I remember collecting my lunch money for like two weeks to pay for my membership on the blind library to be able to listen to those tapes. And I was so happy. And I actually, I, Having good span. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was like my aha moment like, oh my God, all this is mine. I can read all this.
0: I got goosebumps too.
1: (laughs) And while you're 15, you're not supposed to be doing that. But it was that curiosity. Take me to another place. Go to like what happened. I remember Sor Juan Ines de la Cruz. She was a nun in Mexico. And I found out because. They have all these audio tapes. They're coming from Mexico as a nation. And I found out Sor Juana de la Cruz, she dressed as a man to when she was a nun to be allowed to study history, physiognomy. That's why the first time I heard face reading on the old physiognomy, physic astronomy. And they found out 10 years later she was a woman. And she wrote one of the most amazing poems. Men, you're men who are so blind to understand that you are punishing women when you become from women. It's way more lovely in Spanish. But it was like I was reading La Cruz. I was reading about Queen, the the Golden Age. I was reading about, oh, my God, the one who killed herself. It's a really good, oh, my God, I'm really bad with names. Eva Duarte. I was reading about this women figures and like was so empowering and what it mean and that take me to another Eva Brown the one who was Jewish and married with Hitler before she died right. so all these empowered women later I found out about Margaret Thatcher in the 80s when England went against Argentina for the folks folks on so all these women like look what they did look who they become and Maria Curie yeah. so it was empowering to listen to that. And that's how my brain developed to be, to make the impossible possible from only one formula because you want it to happen. Right. So when, yeah, it sounds horrible, but when I find out the blind library, it was like my aha moment. And I did that for many, many years around the world. Wow. And I still do it sometimes when some languages now we have audible, I have more than 223 books. Up today, I check it before this morning because my phone that says, you need a memory update. I'm like, why? Oh, I have too many books. Uh, You see, the only thing I regret to be born as late is for the understanding with your education limitations and the tools, the technology. I don't have any problem with technology. Use it in your favor. Everybody loves a cell phone. So don't complain about technology. Is that technology was, I'm not taking about 30 years ago, 20 years ago. 20 only 20, not only five. all, is six years. I, I, Robin, what is five, six years old?
0: I only discovered about two years ago, so I think it's about five years old. All right, so we're feeling really good. We're empowered. We unlocked the secret to our curiosity. Mm-hmm. What was next?
1: And actually, many years later, I don't know if you know Dr. Diane Hamilton.
0: Yes. She, oh, my gosh. The Curiosity Code. Cracking the Curiosity Code. I had her on my show. I love her. Yes. Oh, we love Diane.
1: Diane and I, we become really good friends, at least on my side. Let's, let's ask her. And I read her book and a first version of the Curiosity Code like many years ago when she wrote it with her do- huh? because of her daughter. The first version, that's how I contact Diane. She had me in her show. And one of the... Tomorrow I'm going to do my mental health certification. The next one is Diane curiosity so that curiosity actually i was looking for a definition what i'm not intelligent i'm not better than anybody else i'm a regular chick with a couple of certification and a huge huge amount of curiosity mm-hmm. that is when kids are curious and parents says no, no no i don't have time please from all the things you says no not be that when the why i never grow when the three years old why why, why, I don't want to grow up if I'm going to lose to be curious and I'm going to lose to ask why.
0: Okay. So how come you never lost your curiosity? We're all born with it.
1: Uh, really? It I don't know. It. I mean, I, w- I was punched so many times. I always says, I always run for the first place and I always come in third. So <laughs> the only way, the, the only fate that I have, then I'm going to come from third place to first is to be curious how I can improve. Improvement is a curiosity. Become better in what you do is a curiosity. Losing weight is to be curious. Reading new books is to be curious. Finding the way to be a better person, leave them better when they met you than before. That is curious.
0: How curious was your dad?
1: I curious. They gave me that. I was telling you, I take Mm -hmm. in the mental health training certification because I'm a horrible empath and I cannot sit in my own life saying, oh, because I'm not an empath and I don't connect emotionally with your emotional pain. Oh, I am who I am, so I'm not going to change. No, I need to rationalize. So I use the tools that I have to learn skills that are not natural with me. Ignorance is not to understand that other people have another needs than I have, and they need to talk to another way. So I use my left brain, my curiosity to try to rationalize. Most people is going to criticize me for that, but at least I make the effort to be rational with those empathy. So when somebody needs to be receiving empathy and understanding, whatever used tools I use, at the end, you're going to have the end come that you need me to listen the way you need to be listened. Why? Because I was curious until I found in a way to be better empath and better human being. And I now the tools that I use are different. But it still is the curiosity who get me to find out that I can do that certification.
0: All right. So we're curious. We've unlocked our internal power. Keep me going. Where did the human behavior passion come from?
1: Simple. When I was, when I came back to the, 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 the high school, I remember Dr. Frisco, my physics teacher, he says, I don't want you in my class anymore. You're a pain in the neck. He was a little more explicit. So (laughs) the other teachers said the same, you're disrupting. Why? I came in with all this knowledge. And when they talk about geography, Oh, because this and this and this, I have a really good memory. This and this and this, Susan, tone it down, land the plane. It's a simple high school class. No, but you know that, bla- Susan, you don't need to memorize things. Move on. So my mom was called to the school and my parents says, what you have done again? I swear sure God this time, nothing. So the principal of the school says, your, da- your daughter has been expelled from high school with a diploma. And my parents what? No teachers want her. They're gonna make a general examination orally because that's the kind of school I went. And if she passed, she have the paper. She can do whatever you want. And my parents are like, she's 16. What the heck is she gonna be doing? Like, your problem, she's gonna pass. I took the test a week later. I didn't pass what I would say, oh, I passed 100. No, I passed with 61. Well, I need to pass with 60. I was good enough. Hey. And like now, what? So I went to I went to the uni, I was registered long philosophy, sociology, and psychology, higher achiever. I went first year. I was Why did training. you want to do those things? Because when I did, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you when I was doing the, the, the orientation, I, the guy says, what do you want to do? And like, we went to a couple of meetings, like, I don't know what you want going to do. And so says, tell me what you want to do when you was 13 years old. And I found out. That everybody ended up being happy when they do what they want to do between 12 and 15. Maybe not an astronaut, but I was a dreamer. I was trying to conquer for the stars and a philosophy where that's what I did. Conquer for the stars, conquer to be what is untouchable, being a profiler, being a hostile negotiator, being all the things that I am, being a civilian. That was touching the stars with my hands. Huh. So this is this what you want to be like? Oh, I did. It was my dad. Blah, blah Oh, you want to be a profiler? You want to work for the FBI? Like, wait a minute, time out. I can get paid to do this? Yes. This is what I need to study. So we went through at that point, not phone calls and getting people and talking with people. It says if by the age of 24, you got your first master in any of these specialties and you study English, you're willing, you're able to apply for the FBI and a special visa to go and train in Quantico and see what happened. Like, we have a plan. Now what do I want to do? One of my teachers and psychology says, Susan, I want to propose you to be my assistant in introductions to psych- psychology and danger personality and manipulation, all the things, but your papers are from a five-year-old. Something is going on disconnected. So he sent me to a career advisor, social worker, and after they test me, I remember, and I'm gonna say literally and pardon my French if you need to put a beep, honey, honey, 17 years old. The bad, the good news is you're hot, so you need to start. You need to look for a husband and popping kids because the bad news, you're highly dyslexic. You're never gonna make it. I'm like, what? What? What you mean I'm never gonna make it? Like, no, all your dreams, so. Get a good husband. So I remember turning around and this, can you see my rear end? Good, because it's the last thing you're going to see about me. And I walk away. I went home and I remember not dating, not one of my proud moments, but that's how you deal with and cope with pain. I never, I don't have a recollection. I think it was too painful to remember. It was just two or three weeks. I didn't date. I didn't eat. I didn't want to get out of bed. That when start smoking, I was a, a, like a downfall. And my dad says, first, take a bath because I'm going to burn the couch, with the, the, the mattress with you on it. I'm going to be in the studio. And my dad says, how do you think I get here and I put food on the table and roof on your head? Not because I was tall. It's going to happen. Not because it was easy. So you have two ways to get to the destination. Somebody fly first class and somebody's going to be swimming with sharks and look like you're going to be swimming with sharks all the way to the top. So your mom and I, we decide we're going to give you the, what is the, when the emancipation, Mm -hmm. we're going to give you as much money as we can, have what you have and decide where you're going to go. So I found that that it was the first initial body language class in Belgium. So this is, I'm going to go to Belgium. Okay. When you made it there, no idea what's going to happen. And we need to remember that 35 years ago, 34 years ago, we didn't have the problem that if your visa, you're illegal, 9-11, those things that make more difficult to stay right. there. So I went to Belgium. I get my class, a year class that was allowed to take it. And I was bartender at night. So one of the people that was studying with me and says, you have this weird brain that allow you to see people and you get to people's head. You make people laugh. You make people talk. It says, I do political consulting. Will you like to be shadowing me? It says, says, how much you pay? You pay more the bartender I'm in. At that point, I want to do it. I was, I think, around 18, 25. I ran my first political campaign. I never stopped. And I did that for 18 years.
0: What do you think they saw when they saw you that made them want to bring you on board?
1: I think he was in latin and he was an american europeans have another chance to see people uh i was accepted to do a master in manchester without having a degree because they saw something in me
0: what did and say? i don't
1: know no and you know what he died a couple of years ago and it was one of the biggest loss because without him i wouldn't be who i am today he observed me. And I remember says, you're a weirdo. You're a cripple. I need to be paying attention to you. He was observing me and observing me how I interact with others. And he was provoking situations where I need to be an exposed situation, situations with others, and how I manage those. And like, why that happen? Tell me more. It was natural because I'm coming from a surviving ambience and a surviving life. When I was told no, parents were different. So I don't know. I wish I can say it was this, because I'm sure it's going to help a lot of other autistics and dyslexic people to find out. And it's not, I want to make it difficult. I really, literally, I don't know. Because every time I talk to him, you have a gift of what? I can tell you, this is a gift. You can tangible, but he never gave me a tangible
0: what he saw. So what's likability to you? Uh, What makes someone likable?
1: Two things. You and the person around you. First, I don't believe the first impression has nothing to do with you. You connect the smell, the voice. People is not going to like me as soon as they hear, hey, I'm Susan Ivitz. They're not going to like me. And it's nothing I can do except to find something that we have in common, the me too. When we like each other. Likeable is the predisposition, <clears throat> the predisposition to be open mind, to be seen, and seen others. To find something in common that make me like, I like to know more about you, and that's when I wanna like you. That moment where like we like books, we like audiobooks, we laugh together. That's what makes you likable.
0: You think making people feel safe is part of that?
1: I'm goofy all over the place and where I'm the safest net you're going to be landing. I don't drink the Kool-Aid. I think that can be a possibility because I always start my keynotes or training says, okay, I've been called quirky, this and this. I'm the autistic, I'm dyslexic, I'm all over the place. I'm going to have grammatical errors. I don't have all the answers. The only thing I can guarantee you, if I don't have it, I'm going to find someone who does it. People lower the barriers and feel like, oh, if she's not perfect doing what she does, it's okay with me to be gullible and weird and allow myself to go out there. I think I can provide and maybe I'm sure provide or I provide a safe place for people to be who they want to be, because that is the platform that I was growing and giving all my life.
0: Yeah, I see it too. You're very transparent, which makes people feel safe.
1: I am. I am what you see.
0: There's no doubt. That's why it's so much fun to be around. All right. So we go to Austria. We start our, our journey to be the world premier expert in human behavior. What was next?
1: It was like nonstop. I was working nonstop until I was 35. I never take a break. And that was a huge one because I got burned out. I would say for the only thing I regret in my life is to stop doing political campaign. It feels safe. It feels good and it feels made, anonymous. Nobody you knew feel, who I want.
0: And I, I apologize for that interruption. No, what made safe. you feel what made you feel safe doing political campaign stuff?
1: Because nobody knew who Susan Ibit was.
0: Hmm.
1: I was the dark angel. You're not gonna find I I don't exist until three years. You look for me three years before, I don't exist because I was working on the dark, I was working on the shadows. I was working mouth to mouth. I don't need to do videos. I remember the first webinar that I did four years ago. I throw during, before, and after. I hate it. And I procrastinated in doing more material on the media because I don't like it. This box where people use their own dictionary to determine who you are without mm. being in my shoes is completely unfair. I don't like it. How right. people is so mean to others without knowing who they go through. Right. So he was safe. Because nobody needs to know who Susan Ivit is, beside the people who hire me, so I was able to say all the closer words that I want. I can be as weird as I am. Nobody criticizes you. It wasn't needed to be politically correct. I am not a politically correct person. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that because I'm always strategizing and thinking outside the box. People hire me from that. I can be all over the place. I miss the adrenaline. I miss to see changes. I mean I, I like to see how I can mold a person and make it. I never work. One of the things that I coach in two political consultants now. The first thing is never ever work with a candidate you like. Mm. And like, why? Because you start being a bias. If yeah. I like you, it's nothing that I can do to modify to be likable because I'm not going to find those things because I l- already like you. If I don't like you, no matter what is your flag, I'm a mercenary with that and still a mercenary. I, love it. I can make you likable. So I love it. your bias, no matter how professional you are, is there. Yeah. So I don't care. I don't need to respect you. I don't need to like you. You can be And. I'm gonna make sure that I can find things on you and the people around you to make you likable. If I like you already, we lose. The, we lose already. When yeah. people says, "I always work with Democrats or Republicans," like I don't care. I always work with cases. I was talking. You just to work with people
0: you don't like. <laughs> <I love it.
1: laughs> Let me put it another way. I love it. I was talking with a trial and a white 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 crime lawyer. So white crime is when the big three letters call you for something that you did wrong. Uh and says i never work with somebody who's innocent what about you like are you crazy no way it's too much pressure to work with somebody's innocent because they think because they're innocent are going to be not liable the cemetery the books and the jail is full of people who is who who are innocent or they were perceived that because they're innocent they're going to win there's no way so working with somebody's innocent under the perception just because of that they're not going to be filed liable is not true it's too much pressure they think they have their own bias under the perception that is going to happen
0: yeah
1: so the same way I work with politics so I work with a with a with a client on in law so in law is like it says I don't care if you did it don't tell me I don't care if you did it who you did it what who you did it with why you did it how you did it i just going to make sure you do what you pay me to do. And most people think I'm a bitch. And probably you're 100% right.
0: So we have this vast experience. I love the insight of taking on clients that you don't like because only you could then make them likable. Mm-hmm. So how do we become the human polygraph?
1: That was an article, and it was a lot of controversy, and I love it. I went to study I in can't Europe. imagine.
0: <laughs> that you like controversy <laughs> sorry go ahead
1: <laughs> i didn't write actually i found out that is already set it up so i'm allowed to say it i i and you see my force is going up yeah i've somebody approached me two months ago and says i've been reading about you and following on the media i'm i'm, I'm right from psychology today i'm gonna make an article how somebody with all the odds against her become should should become i like you want to write about me using my name. So the article is approved is coming on March and I'm so nervous and I usually don't say anything until coming. But what says from all the conquerors that I did in my life being right about me and how I conquer all the things and I conquer all the odds against me. They put me next. I stand and Spielberg. I want to see the final article and how, no matter how people tell no it's going to happen. So, I went to Europe to study polygraph and that, that's how you, you and I met because we did a special out the concept right. of the polygraphs. So I went to study another thing that I went to study. So I studied polygraph and I remember I failed horrible. Again, failing is the best tool. And that's how I learned how polygraph work. So two or three years ago, most of the journalists who look for me and they're going to interview me, they don't tell me who is going to be how we're going to met, or who I'm going to be met in because they're going to tease you like, okay, tell me something about me. Nobody else knows. so I can read your face and things. So first of all, this journalist happened the same when I did the two front page of Chicago Tribune. I didn't know who I'm going to be interviewed. So this guy come to me, I read his face and says, okay, I'm going to start lying to you and you need to tell me how and when. So I let go, go, tell me more. Hmm, Interesting. What else? And I was betting him and we're talking about journalist who has been in this field for 60 years and I was taking notes and like okay tell me okay you like here and here and here why I can see your carotide that happened blah 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 and you was cringing and doing this and like, he was like holy cow you're the human polygraph like whatever make you happy and when the article came up and like you Susan Ivitz is the equivalent of the human polygraph and I do not believe when people says I'm a human polygraph or a human lie detector, or you're never going to lie to me, or it's impossible to lie to me, that is the first lie. There are three ways you can be good in this job. Who you are, how you're feeling, and how predisposed to are not to drink your own Kool-Aid and walk in a room thinking everybody have a reason. Everybody's telling you the truth. I just want to know if you're lying. And go with the flaw. I'm sure it happened to you, Robin. You have a pedigree that we can work and you can write an encyclopedia. If you go into a room with a bias that the person is lying and not an open mind and being curious, doing questions, like you said in so most of the interviews, I didn't use force. I didn't coerce people to be a for us. I use kindness. I use questions. I use curiosity. I make them feel safe. We have something called the CSI's effect when sometimes you lose cases because the jurors are the jurors are expecting like the CSI things fly in the DNA and like it's not true. It's connecting with that person. Let them talk. When you let them talk, they're hanging themselves. But most right. people want to be cocky and not do that. So that's how I did have the human polygraph. Again, I love the title. I think it's fun. They put it on my website. Do I think it's the human polygraph? No, you got me on a Sunday after I went with, with my friends, I hung over, I need bacon and a bloody Mary, not talk me about deception, <laughs> detection, I'm the worst.
0: So Susan, we could talk for hours and days and weeks and months as we will continue our relationship and friendship together. But let's go back to the polygraph for a second and leave people with maybe two or three things Not how to be a human polygraph, because I think you just hit upon something that is the most important that I think resonates with everyone, and that is in order to do those things, you have to be really present. Mm -hmm. What recommendations do you have for people to start being a little more present so they can be a better observer of the things around them so they can start on that journey to being able to detect what someone's doing around them a little more accurately so they can forge better relationships?
1: do over research. When you over-research about something, you're already going, you're looking for the fulfilled prophecy. You're just looking for whatever the person is going to tell you to feed an apostle that you already have that is danger. If I think dating, oh, that guy is perfect. I'm so deceived. The guy is not perfect. He never was. Deception coming from your expectation not to be fulfilled for the reality of the
0: person who they are. Deception coming through your expectation. What a great statement! Keep going. Sorry, <laughs> that was fantastic. No, no, no,
1: It's simple. I'm not more intelligent. I simplify things because my brain need to simplify. So that's what right. I do with things. So if I deceive you, you, get feel this deception through me is because your expectations. Never gonna. Fo- I'm never gonna feel your expectation. I'm human and imperfect, like every other human being. Don't try to make me perfect. Don't put me in a pedestal. Don't do that. I'm not. I'm not a a, a, a poster boy for anything. No hero hero story. I'm failed the same way that anybody else. Give yourself the chance. Don't fulfill the prophecy. Not be allowed to people to deceive you in any way because it's your own fault. People don't do the right questions. People don't lie to you. You don't do it. Second of all, being able to listen to the cues. Do not be expecting to look for the next question. Sometimes pauses. Are the best way you can tech talk to people is the most uncomfortable thing for you to make and for the other person to receive. But if it says, like you, I was going like bah, bah, bah because I'm nervous. I was before the interview like doing this like, Robin, I don't like this and <laughs> stop and like wait wait a minute wait wait what about Auschwitz and like okay I'm gonna need to calm down because I cannot gonna get away with this guy he's gonna cut me. So go there and sometimes like. Tell your head, tell me more and how that make you feel and how you that happened and why happened. Be with your body, the tone of your voice and your hands open. If I says, tell me more, like, tell me more. I want to hear more. Be present in your boy, in your tone of voice and your words. Don't be critical. And why that happened? Wait, wait a minute. That is not right. No, don't tell people what is right, because what is right hmm. for me is not right for you. So be open about the other person. It's not about you and how you want to be talked. It's how the other person needs to receive the information. Ask questions. Be curious. And the third one, do not read. And I know it's going to be controversial. Do not buy the book for the cover. Wait until you read the first chapter. Everybody has a story and everybody's gone or went through things that you don't know to. Don't be so easy to criticize and put a finger on another person never never. I love books and I love the analogy wait until the first chapter because then you can understand why the title is what it is until then you just, you fail know the book in your hands. you fail to be curious enough to understand what is the first chapter and everybody have one first chapter that can allow you to understand what it's coming from and then you're gonna be present all the time.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that analogy. Don't don't judge it till you read the first chapter. Oh, I love it. It's beautiful. Susan, out of all these great things you've done recently in your life, or maybe even before then, what's brought you the greatest joy? Moving to the forest
1: and doing my 40% of my job pro bono, and you're never going to see it in any, I'm on the board of so many associations, so many things. And taking so much of my time is giving me so much joy. And I'm not going to say what the way they are. You're not going to see it on the media. And that gave me joy. And I'm so proud of myself to get out of my comfort zone and my lazy (laughs) buckle to go and do it for the first time and feeling it's narcissistic, it's altruistic. I don't care. I have so much joy. I'm so proud of myself to get out of my comfort zone and do it.
0: Joy through service and getting out of your comfort zone. Yep. Perfect. So, Susan, what's something I should have asked you, but I didn't ask you, and you wanted to make sure you shared?
1: Nothing. You you are, and you were a really good interrogator.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no interrogation.
1: I hate this. I hate it. People think, oh, but you're not really no, I hate it. I've been preparing myself all day and keeping BBC, so I don't know. But you make it look so natural, and you make it look so easy, and it's not. I've been interrogated and interviewed with people like what the heck i was thinking when i say yes and i love your show and your podcast because everybody is being interviewed in a different way because you use your way to make that person shine it's not about you you get the the guest to be there so it's nothing i would say shut up susan we can make this shorter that's the only <laughs> thing you
0: have done. oh you're beautiful Susan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything. Last thing, where can people go to add a little bit more Susan to their?
1: You can go to humanbehavioralab.com or Google my name. I hate it, but I'm brand. So <laughs> it's go in to the show human- notes. Yeah, humanbehavioralab.com. And you can find we have videos, dailies, we have articles, we have newsletter, and we have new classes coming. We have web, words, emotions, and behavior. It's a new class because I don't think one thing can go together. And we are doing crazy things all the time. So, Take
0: a pick. Awesome. Susan, thank you so much for sharing your amazing and compelling backstory and insights for everyday life. No doubt. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Forge by Trust. Remember, if you want to forge trust, it's not how you make people feel about you that matters. It's how you make them feel about themselves. If you're interested in more information about how I can help you forge your own trust building, communication, interpersonal strategies for yourself or your organizations, please reach out and contact me at www.peopleformula.com. I'm looking forward to sharing my next Forge by Trust episode with you next week when we do a deep dive into disciplined listening with Michael Reddington.